must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic process. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. I have a dream. Welcome to Great Men Back Then. Here's your host, Lauren Scott. You are listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. And welcome to Great Men Back Then, where we talk about, you guessed it, great men. Specifically, great men from American history. Now, I know what you may be thinking right now. How can it be possible that a college student can possibly judge the character of some of the men in our history and call them great, especially when many of them had tremendous faults and made loads of mistakes? I mean, for crying out loud, more than half of the Founding Fathers owned slaves. My response to that would be this. Yes, many of the men in our history were flawed and made choices that were most definitely not commendable. But I am here to give you the facts. If we take a closer look into the lives of these men, we can better understand just where they're coming from. A lot of people we will focus on have lived through more tragedy and more grief than most people in the 21st century will ever know or understand. Wars, adultery, child loss, and illness all play into the effect of how a person lives their life and makes decisions. For greatness is not about the number of mistakes one makes, but the number of times one overcomes those mistakes and perseveres through hardships. Today we'll be going back in history and we will be talking about the first president of the United States, Mr. George Washington. I have with me here today, Tracy Wilson, a junior studying English and journalism. Tracy, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling good and I'm excited about fall break. Yes, fall break is very exciting. Mm -hmm. Now, Tracy is an English major, so she's not an expert on George Washington, but we are still going to test her knowledge. And it was very kind of her to be willing to meet with me today. So thank you, Tracy. All right, Tracy, my first question for you. What state was Washington born in? Virginia? That is correct. Oh. Yeah, good job, Tracy. <laughs> We're off to a great start. <laughs> All right, my next question for you. What is the phrase he added at the end of the presidential oath during his inauguration that every president has repeated when they took office? It's a phrase, you said? It's a phrase that every president says after they take the presidential oath. I mean, my guess would be something maybe like one nation under God or something like Close. that. Close. It does have the word God. In okay. It. Yeah. I don't know. All right. So help me God. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's a little fun fact. All right. My next question for you. Washington's face appears on both paper currency as well as a coin. Can you name which ones? Okay, coin is definitely a quarter. Yes. And then the paper would be a dollar. Yes, good job, Tracy. Thanks. Both of those are correct. All right, the next questions, we are gonna move into true or false. Ooh, so we okay. have a 50-50 chance okay. of getting this right. All right, true or false, Washington cut down a cherry tree. I think that one is actually false. I think that that's like a story that's been circulated, but I think it's false. Yes, that is correct. That story actually is false. All right, my next true or false question. While Washington was in office, he made a law that only allowed the president to run for two terms. That's false. I think it was just based on precedent that he did it. Yes, that is also correct. All right, my next question. Washington was the major general and commander-in-chief of the Continental Army. I think that's true. 
Yep, that is true. He was unanimously elected. Oh, he very was a, popular. He was very popular, yes. All right, Tracy, my next question for you, true or false, Washington's teeth were made out of wood. That might be another one of those ones that was circulated around that's actually false. That is correct. Wow. Now, little bonus question. Do you know what they were actually made out of? I'm going to guess ivory. Oh my goodness, yes. <laughs> so they were made out of gold, ivory, and a little bit of animal bone. Oh, it's kind interesting. Of, and another bonus question. He always put his teeth in whenever he would eat hoe cakes, which I think is like cornbread. It was okay. like his, one of his favorite things That's to really eat. specific. It is really specific. It's just a little tidbit I remember. Yeah. All right, my next question. This is the last one. And is okay. it true or false? Okay. All right. Washington was the only president who never lived in the White House. I think that's true. Yes, that wow. is true. Tracy, <laughs> oh my goodness, did you get all of these right? I, uh, I think I think maybe you did. Anyway, maybe she got a few wrong, but <laughs> way to go, Tracy. Thank, Thank you, you so much for joining us today. Thank you for um, having me. Yeah, of this course. Is fun. All right, well, without further ado, let's jump into the rest of the life of George Washington. Washington was born on February 22, 1732. His parents' names were Augustine and Mary. His great-grandfather, John Washington, traveled to America in 1657 and decided to settle in Virginia, which is where Washington was born and raised. He had a total of nine siblings, consisting of three brothers and two sisters, as well as three half-brothers and one half-sister. Out of all of his siblings, he was closest to his half-brother, Lawrence Washington. Washington grew up on a farm his entire life. When he was six years of age, his family moved from their farm on the Potomac River to a farm called the Ferry Farm. This farm would become the home of Washington for the rest of his childhood and the place where he would learn how to become a hard-working man. Washington never really experienced any major hardships during his childhood until the year of 1743. After a long ride surveying his land in the brutally cold winter, Washington's father became deathly ill and passed away. In his will, he left the fairy farm to young Washington. Since Washington was only 11 years old, he had to wait until he was older to legally inherit the farm but this does not mean that he didn't take initiative in maintaining the land. On top of taking care of the farm and maintaining the property, Washington also took care of his mother while she was grieving the loss of her husband. He stepped up to the plate to play the role of the man in the household, which helped shape him into the hardworking man that he became. Taking on the responsibility of the farm meant that many sacrifices had to be made. Washington's life looked very different from most young boys his age. Whereas most boys would be playing sports or climbing trees, Washington was herding cattle and milking cows. Perhaps the largest sacrifice that was made was the sacrifice of his education. His mother had plans for him to attend school in England, but after the death of his father, this was simply not possible. Despite the fact that Washington had missed out on the opportunity to study in England and receive a prestigious education, this does not mean that he was not bright. He was gifted in many areas, but especially the area of mathematics. His older brother, Lawrence, noticed this gift that Washington had and introduced him to Lord Fairfax, head of one of the most powerful families in Virginia. 
There were three things Lord Fairfax first noticed about young Washington. His charming shyness, ambition, and his love for mathematics. Lord Fairfax was highly impressed with these three traits of Washington and invited him to join a team of men surveying Fairfax lands in the Virginia colony when he was only 16 years of age. This was a very exciting opportunity for Washington for many reasons. First of all, this was his first ever trip away from home. Now, although Washington loved his mother dearly, she was very strict and highly demanding, so this was a nice break for him. This trip was also a wonderful opportunity because through closely watching many of the men who were on this trip with him, he was able to quickly learn the ways of their trade of surveying. This was very important for young Washington because he took what he learned from them and went into the surveying business on his own when he was of the age of 17. We can already see Washington taking initiative and becoming a great man, which is why I am featuring him on my show, Great Men Back Then, on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Although this time in Washington's life was exciting and new and everything seemed to be headed in the right direction, it did not take long for tragedy to strike. The brother he was most close to and the biggest mentor in his life, Lawrence, became extremely ill. As his health began to worsen each day, he traveled to England in hopes of receiving medical help. After finding no help in England, he then traveled to Barbados with young Washington in hopes of finding answers there. It was on this trip that Washington contracted smallpox, which would later benefit him when he was fighting in the Revolutionary War. Finding no answers in Barbados, Lawrence then traveled to Bermuda, clinging to what little hope he had left. No treatment was successful and no answers were given. He then returned to Virginia in June of 1752 and later died in July from tuberculosis. Washington was absolutely devastated. Since his father died when he was a young boy, Lawrence was the biggest father figure that he had in his life. He admired him greatly in his work and his perseverance to make a life for himself. It is because of Lawrence that Washington got involved with surveying, which helped him become successful at a young age and to make a life of his own. His admiration of Lawrence led to the ambitious Washington that America knows and loves. We only know and study Washington and his accomplishments during his adult life, but little people know who inspired him to become the man that he was. Lawrence is owed much credit for the man that Washington became. After Lawrence died, Mount Vernon was left to his only living child, Sarah. However, Sarah died not even two years later, and since she had no offspring, Mount Vernon was then given to Lawrence's wife, Anne Washington, and she decided that she wanted to rent the property to Washington. In 1761, Anne Washington actually passed away, and in accordance to Lawrence's will, Mount Vernon officially became Washington's forever home. After fighting in the French and Indian War, he settled down in Mount Vernon and married a wealthy widow named Martha Custis. Although Martha and Washington never had any children together, Washington helped raise two children from Martha's first marriage as well as her grandchildren. 
He then won a seat in the Lower Virginia Legislature and settled into the life of a Virginia planter. Now, although Washington was involved with politics, farming remained one of his main concerns and passions and also contributed to his rebellious spirit concerning Great Britain. The trade system heavily favored British merchants buying tobacco, and since tobacco was his major crop, he owed a great amount of debt after just a few years. With a desire to make his farm more successful and self-sufficient, and with a rebellious attitude and not wanting to support the British, he stopped growing tobacco and started a new crop that would be more easily sold in America. Rebellion grew wild in the 1760s as more punitive laws were established against the colonies and taxes were imposed on them by England. Americans had absolutely no say in British parliamentary decisions, which led to many voicing their opinions, which only caused more British troops to invade the colonies, and that led to no good at all. Washington, along with most other men who lived in Virginia, had high hopes that the British would eventually repeal some of the laws and come to good terms with one another. However, this could not be a farther outcome of what really happened. The events that would take place led many of the colonists to the realization that they needed their independence and they were willing to fight for it. The events that led to this realization included the closure of the Boston Harbor, the shooting deaths of five colonials in an altercation with royal troops, and the abolition of the Massachusetts State Charter. No one was a bigger supporter of rebellion than Washington himself. He was one of the first leading citizens in Virginia to openly support resistance to English tyranny. Washington was unanimously voted to be commander of the colonial forces. He refused a salary and told Congress, quote, I beg it may be remembered that I, this day, declare with the utmost sincerity I do not think myself equal to the command I am honored with, end quote. Accepting the role of command of the Continental Army was a huge deal. Not only was he agreeing to lead a group of untrained men to fight one of the best armies in the world, but he was leading an insurrection against King George III, and if caught, he would be killed with a rope around his neck. To say that the Continental Army was no match compared to the British would be quite an understatement. Many of the first encounters with the British soldiers ended in utter disaster. Washington's men would either surrender, flee, or shudder in terror. Washington was so ashamed of his men and said, quote, Are these the men with whom I am to defend America? End quote. The troops were encouraged by these words, and the next day, they were able to successfully defend a small engagement in Harlem Heights. However, this success could only last for so long, and after many series of unfortunate events, Washington and his men were forced to withdraw into New Jersey and then Pennsylvania. Washington realized that his army was failing, and he was about to do something about it. He turned to the method of guerrilla warfare, a type of warfare that involves harassment through surprise that oftentimes smaller armies would use in an attempt to defeat bigger armies. The word guerrilla literally means little war. 
he decided to use this method on Christmas Day 1776. He and his army crossed the Delaware during an icy cold blizzard to surprise the enemy force at Trenton with a vicious attack. Although these were small victories for Washington and his men, it gave them a boost of confidence and also let the British know that this would be a long and bitter fight. As the war went on, Washington had trained his men to be experts at fighting with the method of guerrilla warfare. They could move faster and think smarter than the British, which led to many deaths within the British troops. With each soldier that would die, a new one would have to be sent from England, which meant that the war was becoming rather unpopular in their country. Now, with France joining the colonists as an alliance in 1778, the Americans were unstoppable. The final straw for the British was when the Americans and the French attacked Lord Cornwallis and his men as they were camping out on the shores of Chesapeake Bay. The British had seen enough, and on September 5th, 1781, they finally surrendered. In the spring, Parliament withdrew its support for the war in America, and the British finally began to leave the colonies. Washington was a great man in the way that he led the Americans to victory, which is why I am featuring him on my show, Great Men Back Then, on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Throughout the Revolutionary War, we see Washington as a magnificent revolutionist rather than a great general. Even after he suffered many defeats, he never lost his ambition and was determined to fight in order to gain independence for the nation. One French officer wrote, quote, I cannot insist too strongly how I was surprised by the American army. It is truly incredible that troops almost naked, poorly paid, and composed of old men and children should behave so well on the march and under fire, end quote. It is safe to say that after the war was over, everyone absolutely loved Washington. Many people wanted to make him a king, but he firmly refused his position. He had just fought for so many years to escape a monarchy, and the very last thing he wanted to do was establish the very same thing, even if he would be the one to get all the power. This showed his true selflessness and love for the nation and wanting to see it succeed. For a couple years after the war, America was governed by something called the Articles of Confederation. However, this only led to a very unstable government. In May of 1787, all the states gathered together to what was known as a Constitutional Convention. Washington was unanimously chosen to be the head of this assembly that developed the Constitution, although he did not necessarily want this position. The Constitution would be the foundation of the American government that would call for the position of a president. Washington was unanimously elected president in 1788. As president, he played an important role in setting tradition. For instance, with the popularity he had, he could have easily become a king and kept the role of being president until he died. However, he realized the importance of power being distributed. He only served for two terms, which was then a tradition that was followed by every single president after him until FDR came along in 1932 and served four terms. He set the precedent for the president in many ways, which was a very difficult thing to do since a nation like the United States had never existed before. Another important aspect within his presidency was his reliance on his cabinet. He set the tradition to include the cabinet in the president's office and also to have the president be able to choose their cabinet. 
Washington also set a precedent for executive restraint when he would veto many bills unless it dealt with constitutional questions. This was a tradition that was followed by the next four presidents. Also, by keeping a certain distance between his role and the role of the vice president, such as not allowing John Adams to even attend cabinet meetings, he set the tradition in which the role of the vice president is very ceremonial. After Washington's second term was over, he went back to his home in Mount Vernon. However, his peaceful life on his farm could only last for so long. In December of 1779, Washington was inspecting his land on horseback while it was very cold outside. Later that night, he developed a sore throat. Doctors came and tried to help him, but the methods they used only made him worse. Although he was in pain, he did not complain and even apologized for being an inconvenience. He breathed his last breath that same night. Whether or not you believe that Washington was the most important president this nation has ever seen, we can all agree that if it was not for the traditions he started in the first place, the role of the president would be very different from what it is today. He had a solemn respect for the nation that was carried over with the following presidents. He realized it was not good for one man to have power for too long out of the best interest for the nation. He did not want to become president, but he did it to fulfill his duty for the country. It is for all of these reasons that I argue that George Washington was a great man. Thank you for listening to Great Men Back Then, where we talk about great men who shaped our nation into what it is today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and even learned something new. Come back next week as we will talk about another great man on Great Men Back Then with your host, Lauren Scott, on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM.